to welcome everyone to the uh, Roxborough Roundtables. My name is Victoria Anthony, and I am the student uh, coordinator for the Arlen's Becker Center. Um, today our topic is going to be about the events that have recently happened in Charlottesville. Our, our host today will be Professor Kim Douglas. Hello, thank you for uh, <coughs> inviting me. Uh, I'm the director of the Landscape Architecture Program here in <laughs> we'll be making that mistake a lot. <laughs> the Love University plus well, Jefferson University. Jefferson. 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 East Falls Campus. East Falls Campus. City coming back Okay. <laughs> I'm John Devote. I teach U.S. History. Okay. I'm Blaise Jackson. I'm a second year communications major. Uh, my name is Amrit Ball and I'm a pre-med major. My name's Ashton. I'm a first year law and society major. Evan Lane, faculty director of the Spectre Center. Susan Frosten, uh, one of the associate provosts and the associate professor of architecture. I'm Alex, a freshman and marketing major. I'd like to go into law. Patrick Ryan, the associate director for career education here at Jefferson. Latrell Crittenden, assistant professor and program director of communication at Jefferson East Falls. <laughs> so one of the reasons that I wanted to uh, have this roundtable today is because of what's happened in Charlottesville. But I'm more interested in how it affects us here at the university and thoughts about uh, what you all think about, one, what happened in Charlottesville, but also about what happens here on campus. Um, you know, the atmosphere is very divisive in the United States right now, um, and we can talk about that a bit. But I think it all comes down to us as people, right? Um, and I actually wanted to read a quote from Nelson Mandel, um, who wrote in 1995, you may have heard this because I think Obama used it, freedom is indivisible. The chains on any one of my people were the chains on all of them. The chains on all of my people were the chains on me. The oppressor must be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. So I guess I would like to, uh, one, pose a question. Uh, how many of you feel that there is racism? exhibited on the campus. Uh, if you haven't had that experience, have you ever heard someone speak a racist comment, either here or uh, at home, and not say anything I wish that you had? So I will turn it over to <laughs> Um I am very much aware that students on campus, oh, I'm Barbara Kimmelman, I'm professor of history and uh, dean in College of Science, Health, and Liberal Arts on the East Falls campus of Thomas Jefferson University. Um, I am very much aware that students of color on campus have experienced, have conveyed to me, either personally or in group settings, that they have experienced what they consider to be racism on this campus. Um, there are specific incidents that have occurred in this past several years. Um, and what it reflects, I believe, is that just as the events of Charlottesville demonstrate that very racist attitudes survive in our population and that they are very close to the surface, much closer to the surface among certain groups and individuals than I think people had thought. Liberal people, I mean, a lot of people are saying that liberals in particular have been caught off guard by all of this. And that, you know, we've been kind of lulled into thinking that a great deal of progress has been made. 
which I think is undeniable, but understanding what that progress was and what progress has not been made. And also, I think that recent events have encouraged people to say and do things which, in a different environment, they would not have said and done. That's, so could I ask her a reaction from my parents on what Mark just said? Do you guys know what happened on campus last year right after the election? Are you aware, looking around? Anyone in this room? Was aware? Yeah. Go ahead. Instagram. I can see it. Yes. Um, so okay? uh, my name's Colin, uh, Colin Murphy. Um, and last year, I remember there was a, a dummy account that somebody was using and posted a picture of um, two students of color. And um, I'm not sure exactly what he said, but it was racial slurs. Um, or it was like, this student, fat, <laughs> ugly, and then N-word, something like that. Um, and I believe he was suspended for that. And the other? One was the swastika. Are you aware of the swastika? I, I see people shaking their head. Does anyone? I'm asking a question, so you're like, what's your name? Casey. Casey, what are you aware of? Huh? What are you aware of? Uh, I don't know much about it. I just heard people talk about it. It's, it's, well, it's, in a, it's a one society uh, minor. Um, she's an RA, and she happens to be uh, Jewish. And on her blackboard in front of her door, as RAs have their blackboard, was a swastika. Yeah, and that was. Because there was also the same uh, emblems uh, on the uh, house down in Gorge. Uh, in fact, it was all over the remnants of this old house that was there. Uh, the actually the had uh, Yes, we own the property, and um, the neighbors were obviously very upset to have that uh, displayed. So the university had to go down and clean it all off, so it's all gone. So those of you that heard about this, just yes. uh, my name is Catherine Jones. I'm an associate professor of sociology and gender studies. I've also um, been in touch with professors who've had to deal with a lot of um, uh, racism in their classrooms. And um, the person that I'm thinking of in particular is an adjunct professor and not, um, not, um, what's the word? not a very experienced teacher. And she, or he, had to deal with people um, who were sort of calling out um, African Americans in the class and accusing them of being there um, just because of the firm's action and saying, you know, sort of racist things um, in class. I believe this was prior to the election, but it was in the build-up to the election, um, and so and this person was having a hard time figuring out both how to protect the African-American students in the class, but also how to deal with the white students who felt comfortable saying this stuff, both in front of a professor and in front of African-American students. So um, this is Susan Frost, and I'm one of the associate provosts. I just want to bring up, because this is a great opportunity for this, as a point of fact, um, our campus has not practiced affirmative action in admissions. So each and every student here is here because of um, merit. Of merit, completely because of merit. So there is this assumption in many places, or even across the country, that every college has some sort of quotas. 
and it is just not true. And I think this is like a good opportunity to just sort of put it out there that um, uh, we have not had those. And under the Bakke case, Supreme Court case, quotas are not constitutional in the yeah. United States. But even, are no quotas. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm opposed to affirmative action. I just want to sort of put out there, um, since uh, there are students who have experienced that as a microaggression or as a, as a point of bias or racism, that it is it's a mute point here. Having heard what you heard, just to go around the table a little, let's start with Ashley. Does it surprise you what you've heard that this happened? You're new. Yeah, so you um, My name's Ashton. Um, as being a first year, I to answer your original question, I haven't seen anything, but I've also only been living on campus for like a week and a half. But going off of am I surprised, I'd say sadly enough I'm not really surprised. Um, I think that a lot of people like to act like we live in a world where everybody's equal and we've fixed all of the problems. Um, that we've had, and I think that a lot of people were surprised with Charlottesville, and I think a lot of people were surprised by our most recent election. Um, but I really, I was upset by our election, and I'm upset by Charlottesville, but I'm really not surprised. Um, and I think that says a lot, because I think we really need to pay attention more to the fact that these things are happening, and we do have to try and do more about it. And I think that people are turning a blind eye and trying to pretend that um, we, as a country, are better than we are. Uh, my name is Amrith Ball. Um, I'm also a freshman, so this is, I've been on this campus for a week and a half. So um, I haven't experienced any racial um, problems so far. and. Um, Am I surprised? Uh, not really, because uh, after the election, uh, certain acts did happen, like happened in school, so um, I'm not really... Uh, in your high school? In, in my high, high school, um, there were certain people that were um, supporting Trump and were like celebrating after the election, but um, they weren't... Um, going against someone or like hurting anyone, but uh, after election, I think this type of event isn't uh, a surprise to me. So, tell me why. Um, I think it was a shock the results for many people, and many people were disappointed. So, um, I I'm not really sure. It's just I just expected something like that to happen. Um, Belez, um, I was here last year when the incident with the Instagram happened, and a lot of people, like a lot of my friends, were upset because they knew the people, and it's like you see it every day, but people don't address it. And for that person to say it and go out of their way and just say something so hurtful to someone, it's just like, and then put it out there for other people to see. I think it was just overwhelming that the people that did see it and reprimanded that person, like, hey, that's not okay. Like, you can't say stuff like that and think you can get away with it. and go through school and think that's okay. Like, I think it's, 
it was good that the university addressed it the way they did and expelled him or gave him whatever consequences. When you say you see it every day, that's a pretty powerful statement. So what do you well, mean I don't see it every day, but like it's just like a, a like people are say racist stuff all the time. They make jokes and like people just like laugh and uh, it's like a casual thing, but it's not like anything too hurtful where someone would be like, wow, oh, that, that really hurt me. Do you think the university should have done or said something about what happened in Charlottesville? Uh, made some sort of statement? Our university? Mm -hmm. um, I think they should address it just in case it does happen here. Because that would be, that wouldn't be the best situation. Yeah, yeah I have, this is John. I <coughs> do want to, because part of the problem, yes, I have had racists in my class, I know I've had racists. And it's a challenge because when you teach a course called Debating U.S. Issues, you want to hear at all sides, but you also have to keep the respect in the class, which can be challenging at times. My pro the thing that I think a lot of people are not addressing is there are people who honestly do not understand why people of color are upset. They think, you know, that Charlottesville, you know, the heritage of Robert E. Lee. And there are people, when I've talked about you know, black shooting, you know, shooting black people, police shooting black people, you know, and, you know, police, you know, patting down uh, black people simply because they're black. They say, all you have to do is behave yourself and you're not going to have a problem. And they honestly do not understand why people, you know, people of color are upset. Um, and I think that's another problem that we have to discuss. And I think that's one of the reasons why schools should address Charlottesville, because there are people who will say this is our this is our heritage. Robert E. Lee is our heritage. Uh, when they ignore the fact, of course, that Robert E. Lee's statue was put up over an ex-slave auction. Okay. Sorry, this gentleman here wants to be a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you in the law society? I should bring up. Uh, I'm Alex. Um, nice to meet everyone. Um, I find this event, Charlottesville, very um, dramatic, I guess you could say. It's very sad what happened. Um, as I am a freshman, I have not personally encountered racism yet. Um, I may in the future, and that will be quite depressing. Um, for right now, um, in terms of Charlottesville, I don't know quite what to say. Um, it's It was so confusing the situation um, and there was so much that happened in one go. There were so much issues and so many uh, policies, I guess, I guess you could say, that um, were brought up and possibly uh, brought up for debate or can be brought up for debate that I find that um, I just simply don't, I don't know how to feel about the situation. Do you think the university should have said something or should be. And that would have been. Okay. Yeah, as long as. Um, yeah, I would imagine that it wouldn't be a bad idea to bring up a little announcement for that. I'll just interject one thing. I was very upset about what happened. And the first evening, uh, all of my students get together and we have a field trip. And we started that field trip this year with a moment of silence to acknowledge that one of the division that's. Um, exhibiting in this country, and two, to sort of honor those that are trying to fight it. Um, and I did it mainly because I didn't expect a reaction. You know, um, 
students have a hard time talking about some of these things in large groups. But I did do it to let the students know that I was appalled by what happened. Because I think sometimes you have to be overt in you know, make, taking a stand, for one thing, um, and to really call out uh, what had happened, which was why I was asking the questions. If, if you know, many of you have had experiences with either here or in high school um, around racism and what you might do or would have wished you had done uh, around that issue. So could you address, have you ever had that issue in high school? Where people said things, or at the top of my head, I don't believe so. Um, yeah, not think of it. Um, what about the university making a statement? What uh, regarding making a statement? Um, I mean, as long as everyone has their facts together, I think that could be a good idea. But that goes without saying, of course. <laughs> Spoken like a true lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and he's only a freshman. <laughs> Very good. I, I want to add to something Kim has said, and just the emotion of it. The symbols they were marching behind in Charlottesville were symbols that are responsible for the murder of millions of people, the hangings across the South of thousands of black people, and the beatings and rapes across our nation. Those symbols they marched behind are pure evil. Pure evil. It wasn't like, I believe in less taxes, more taxes. This wasn't, um, and you have the right and left, people have their different political points of view on tax, on the, on the Affordable Care Act. Now, these are all political questions that people have fair disagreements on, we can disagree on. Okay? <clears throat> Every one of us can do that. But there is no disagreement on this. There's none. When the KKK marches, that is evil. They stand for murder. They stand for hate. That's it. There is no tolerance of that, period. When the, when the swastika is shown, and when this, the statement, blood and soil, which if you guys don't know, that's the Nazi statement. When it is saying the Jews won't replace us is what they're saying in their march. While they're holding torches, do you guys know the meaning of those torches? They, they weren't like cool tiki torches from Home Depot. But they, they were, the clan used to get together and march with torches. That's the clan. Do you know what they did when they were marching with torches? Did anyone take a guess when they had their little marches? Go ahead. Go ahead. My name's Evan. Um, I'm a freshman. Um, didn't they like burn down houses and churches? Yes, they did. And what else did they do? They burned people, black people. Okay, that's what that meant. So when people marched with those torches and they marched behind the swastika, that stood for pure evil, period. And yet, the presidents of the United States did not take a stand. He said there are bad people on both sides. He made them equal. There are fine people I'm among them. That's what he said. When that is stated in my country, that I, have so, uh, that I grew up thinking that this was a great place to be, I'm sickened. And I just want to put that out there. And I think Kim felt the same way by the depth of emotion. And Susan, and this is just not a discussion. This was a turning point in our country. And I hope you understand that. If we don't respond to this in the right way, the country, you guys, the young folks here, 
grow up in, maybe very different than the country us older folks grew up in. So I just want to lay it out. This is not just a casual discussion we're having. This is important. Some serious stuff happened in this country that was really bad that could end up breaking us if we don't respond the right way. Um, my name is Ashton. Um, one of the things I think I struggle with is the people who <clears throat> get together and form uh, what they feel as a community and then go to things like this and they are trying to defend whatever minority it is but they respond with violence and they hide their faces and they cover themselves in all black or whatever it is to disguise themselves and I respect the fact that they don't want to um, be persecuted by the people they're trying to um, fight against but then they respond with violence because they think it's the only thing to get through and I really feel like that's like I just think that's not right um, but also they are trying to fight for the same beliefs I have and so I think it's really hard for me to kind of gauge how to feel about that because I really don't think that going at it with violence and fistfights and whatnot is correct but um, so you're talking about Antifa right? Yeah so what exactly what kinds of violence were they engaged in was it equivalent to the violence of the white nationalists that day, or was it something that was defensive or offensive? Like, what's your issue with Antifa's violence, and how is that different from the violence perpetrated by the white nationalists that day? I don't want to, my thing too is, I, like, I know that there are multiple different groups about this. I only recently heard about Antifa, so, like, I don't know a lot about it, and I don't want to say something that's incorrect, because I haven't, like, done a lot of fact checking um, but I all I know is that they do have a strong belief that violence is the way to get through so on one hand it was like pepper spray and um, like wooden blocks on the other hand it was armed white nationalists and a car through a group of protesters yeah so Colin you're fucking I understand your point and it's right but you're falling into a trap and the trap is equalizing the sides and violence, I agree with you, um, Ashton. I don't think violence is ever a good way, as Martin Luther King showed us, far more effective nonviolence, and to exploit those who are violent is much more effective. That is true. But when you're looking at both, this is what the president did, and that's what you're unfortunately getting into the argument, you shouldn't get there, Colin. There is no equality between the two sides. One side is saying fascism is wrong, and the way we're going is wrong. The other side is saying we should kill all Jews and blacks. Okay? There's, I'm sorry, you can't put those in the same area. And I agree with you, they shouldn't approach things in a violent manner. And, and the First Amendment protects even the worst of speech. And we, we know that. And that's good, actually. And we should tolerate that and be more clever about it, the people against that type of hatred. I agree 100%. But don't call it, don't equalize them. Don't get into that because then you fall into that trap argument. Okay, well, they had rocks, they had stones, they had permits, they're not permits. Yeah, you know? I'm actually going to ask Colin a question. This is Susan. I'm going to ask Colin a question because I almost thought that you were going in the direction of sort of suggesting that, uh, that the anti fascists were actually, um, um, and correct me if any of this is wrong, that they were. Uh, uh, um, that they were more in a defensive position 
yeah. right? Whereas the that was the question I was trying to ask: yeah. was this defensive violence, where they actually equal forms of violence? One was pepper spray, one was a car. Does that change the dynamic, and should we condemn them in the same ways? Was my question. So I I just wanted to back up Colin there because I I heard Catherine Jones. I heard you were saying those are not equivalent. Right. You know, one is guns and one is one is pepper spray, for instance. But um, the problem, was, even if they no, both have guns, what's the difference? It's still well, not equivalent. Yeah. They're still not equivalent. That's why I don't want to get into no, that I, discussion. No, I, I don't think he was suggesting yeah. they were equivalent. But I, but I just wanted to, I have a friend in San Francisco, and she went to um, the, uh, the sort of the anti-fascist protests um, in San Francisco last weekend to, to, to sort of preempt the people who were coming to the Bay Area. And there were, she, she sort of said, because I, kind of, I was thinking about nonviolence and what do you do when you're confronted with people with guns? Well, luckily she never got into that, that situation because the city kind of effectively shut down the, the um, fascist protesters by uh, forcing them to leave their guns and go through checkpoints and, and <coughs> go through parts of the city that they might not have wanted to go through, et cetera, et cetera. But she said at that protest there were lots of people who were who had worn silly costumes and had you know fun signs and were dressed as clowns and um, there was also I don't know if you guys heard there was a dog poop protest where the place that they were gonna this the field Christie Field where they were going to protest a lot of dog owners decided that they were going to leave their dog poop there and that they were going to collect dog poop for a few days and like dump it in the field so that the protesters would get their feet really dirty. Um, and so then they, you know, eventually for various reasons they decided not, not to go to Chrissy Field at all. But um, so I think like there's, and I'm, I don't want to, I am very much in support of anti-fascism and it, that it has a long and proud history throughout um, throughout the world, including the anti-Nazi league in Britain that my husband was a member of, and um, had a tattoo of actually. Um, so I don't want to downplay the anti-fascists at all, in the, in because I strongly, strongly believe in what they're doing. But I was also sort of intrigued to hear about some of these um, non-violent ways of making making the fascists feel unwelcome. And San Francisco is obviously a very liberal city, so it can get away with doing that. But that was very useful to me to kind of think slightly outside of the box, I guess, and think about what, you know, what some ways that we could we could um, like show our hatred of fascism would be. I think we have to be careful about getting into that. Be smarter as you're saying. Right. Because then you'll have the people such as the president try to say it's equal on both sides. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that the fascists, the Nazis, the white supremacists are doing, are basically following Hitler's playbook in that they want to get people angry enough that they're going to fight back. And there, there have been incidents where anti-fascists and just protesters have beat up the white supremacists simply because of anger. Um, and then, of course, they say, well, look, they're doing the same thing. Of course, they're... The white supremacists are coming in uniform with weapons, with torches, as you said, and they're following the same pattern. And it's the same thing as with Crystal Knot, where they basically destroy the Jewish quarter and then complain about all the property damage the Jews cost. So I have a question about um, how the university would respond to something like this. Uh, my name is Colin. 
Um, James also and Pete Teff were both white nationalists that were outed at the Charlottesville riot. Um, James also specifically is the president of the conservatives at Washington State. Um, his university made a statement about uh, James also and his participation. So I'm wondering what we would do as a university if one of our students were participating in a in a uh, rally like this. How would that impact life here? What would you like the university to do? Um, I'm not sure. It's a I mean, even if question. nobody was down there, what would you like the university to have done? Well, there could be like I guess a condemnation. Um, I don't know like how the university would. Uh, because James also was at a state school, so he couldn't be suspended or banned or anything. Um, I guess it depends on like, if it was violent or not. Um, and I'm I'm just wondering what the faculty might, like, how would they deal with that situation? But one of our students yeah. belong to the rally. Great question, faculty. <clears throat> Let's ask the students. How would you want to see it done? That's the better question. Would you want to say a Philly, or, excuse me, Jefferson University? <laughs> Uh, student was there, should there be a response, or even broadly, should there be a response by the university somehow saying that the, the what happened in Charlottesville goes against what our university believes in? Well, that's their personal belief. If they want to go to a rally, they do have that right to go there and express their feelings. But if they're like forcing on other people, I don't think that's right to do. Did, did the lack of a response from the university make you feel left out in any way? So you don't feel as though there should have been some sort of response? Can I ask why? I mean, people, people are going to do whatever they want to do. College students, this is their time to express. I mean, it wasn't when, I don't think it was when we were in school, was it? It was preschool. So no, I was talking about Charlottesville. It was pre, it was so before, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, not too many people I heard talk about it around school, so it was before school happened. So you haven't heard discussions? Anybody else? Can I ask you by show of hands who here is disgusted in any of their classes? We have one professor <laughs> over there. I sort of mentioned it. Uh, students, have you? Yes. Um, you haven't discussed it, raise your hands. Have not in class. You have not discussed it in the last year. Okay. For those who raise their hands that it's not been discussed, do you feel let down at all? I mean, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Uh, my name, I'm Alex. Um, if I remember correctly, it has been two to three weeks um, since the event. Therefore, um, though it was a very uh, monumental event, a very large event. Um, in terms of our, in terms of the structure of the news, in terms of how um, I guess the was the meta of the news has been going, um, events oftentimes pass by very quickly. So if they're not talked about within you know a few days of them happening, then they're old news, and thus oftentimes they're they'll be um, put down and left away. So I would imagine in terms of the classes here that. Um, it, many uh, of the teachers, I would imagine, feel as if this would be old news. Um, no. <laughs> no, so my name is Maria Sanavaro. I'm the assistant professor of African American Studies here at uh, 
um, Jefferson East Falls campus. Um, <laughs> so I think that that's an interesting point, the idea that if it's, you know, been a few weeks, that it's something that's timely or it's sort of isolated within a particular period of time. Um, and I think for me and my training, a useful way of thinking about it is that these incidents, right, Charlottesville or what's happened on Philadelphia University, or yeah, was what was then Philadelphia University's campus, um, are not, they're kind of, it seems like most people here are sort of sympathetic to the idea that um, these are abhorrent kind of terrible things that have happened. Um, and so I'm sort of interested in thinking about how they exist within a kind of broader framework of a white supremacist culture that is not solely about these isolated extremist incidents, but it's about, um, you know, that people of color get paid less than people who are white for the exact same position, even if they have the same credentials, that people of color are incarcerated at disproportionately higher rates than people who are white for the exact same crimes, um, for, you know, the, death, the disproportionate deaths of black bodies and other bodies of color all across the United States. So that these incidences are not solely these kind of offshoots or anomalies that are terrible, which they are terrible things, but that they kind of exist within a broader framework of, you know, chattel slavery and lynching and things that other people have mentioned. So I think that's a useful way of thinking about it so that it's not just about, oh, this incident happened, you know, two weeks ago and therefore it's no longer relevant, but how does this fit within a kind of larger historical trajectory that happens all the time, right? So someone mentioned these things happen all the time, right? These are kind of daily incidences. And I think these are the forms of systemic, institutional, invisible kinds of violence that take place both symbolically and materially um, that we can explore and expose and find ways. So that's not just about Charlottesville, it's about what does Charlottesville reflect on a larger scale. And I think it's a way of opening up the conversation by talking about that incident and that trying to, in some way, I mean the reason I wanted to do this today is to get activism going on this campus. I really would like to see something happen, not just a sit and talk about it, but then have some sort of actionable plan to, in some way, to start to combat, you know, these bigger issues. Um, anybody want to respond to that? <laughs> sure. Uh, my name is Andrew Bart. I'm an assistant uh, professor in um, the College of Architecture and the Built Environment. Um, you know, I, uh, I've been also trying to think about this in the broader context in which larger events, which are perhaps more, are, are easier to condemn because of their horror, happen within a, a framework, as you said, of other events which perhaps play with the line or, or we feel less moved to condemn as they occur. And, and Perhaps it's, it's easy because it's old, three weeks ago, or it's far away. Charlottesville seems like it's um, a very different place than Philadelphia. Um, or it doesn't affect people that I know um, directly. So what's my, what's my stake in it? But um, you know, I'm, I'm simultaneously looking at similarities between places like Charlottesville. College, a college city. Philadelphia is very much a college city. Um, a, a city which has a, uh, perhaps a more um, liberal bent in the academic and uh, and more urban environment 
but surrounded by a more conservative um, swath around it, also similar here in Philadelphia. Um, and it strikes me that there's a lot of similarities between the environment of Charlottesville and the environment of Philadelphia. And that geographically, in the big scheme of things, we aren't that far apart from each other. And, and actually, you know, looking at our other statistics, we're not that far away from each other. And I, I'm, you know, I'm just as troubled by incidents going on where there are these kind of lightning flash events. But in order for lightning to strike, there has to be friction. There has to be a building up of forces on either side. There has to be a, a homogenizing of people who start to feel very fiery in, in ways that you're, you guys were kind of speaking already. Um, Insulate, people insulating themselves and homogenizing themselves and kind of getting getting very worked up. And so I wonder about ways to, um, in a controlled fashion, I guess I'm an architect. I'm, an, I'm on the architecture faculty, so I'm thinking about this in terms of building, which is that when lightning strikes a building, you try to look for uh, ways to either mitigate it or control it or diffuse it safely ahead of time. And so I look, I look for what are actions that I can take, that we can take, now to confront or diffuse or, or, or disallow the framework from being constructed in the first place. So I look, you know, even at my block, which is an incredibly diverse structure of people, economically, age, race, and, you know, I think it starts with saying, you know, good morning to your neighbor on a very, very simple level. But how do you go up to and approach somebody that disagrees with you and let them listen? You know, and make them start to listen to a different <laughs> response. <laughs> and I, I'm going to take this from the standpoint of a communications person, but also I've written about this in the past. I think that the danger is to look at, at this as a lightning bolt. The first time that I saw the Klan personally was when I was 10 years old. They were marching in my hometown. Then they marched when I was 12. Then I went to a high school where Confederate flags were draped all over the place. When you look at this as a flashpoint, it's essentially, you're saying that this is something that is abnormal. But for the lives of many people of color in this nation, this is everyday life. This is everyday lived experience. So to me, the difference with Charlottesville or many of these other incidents it's not that this is new, it is that it's filmed and taped. We have Twitter, we have Facebook. We didn't have those things when I was a kid, when there was literally a swastika put around the corner from my house. And I think that the danger is to look at this in a news cycle where this is gone. Well, this is gone for many people who on a regular basis do not necessarily have an everyday lived experience with racism. But for many individuals, uh, particularly individuals of color, this one has a stronger resonance with them. And then two, those small flashpoint everyday experiences will continue if not build up. I wrote this last year, so I have no problem saying it because you can Google me um, to find everything out. But my concern with an election of Donald Trump was that individuals who for whatever reason, saw him as a, a spokesperson for their views were emboldened. That basically, with a Donald Trump victory, 
you basically emboldened people who found his presidency to basically support white supremacy. So what you're seeing is an uptick of things, and I think that that's shown people what people are capable of and what people have believed historically. However, I think that the bigger issue is that in the media and I think in everyday life, we do not acknowledge that many of these issues that have taken place over the last year have taken have impacted people of color and other populations on a daily basis for 10, 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 years. And I think that the acknowledgement in terms of changing the discourse is to not see Charlottesville as this grand event, which it was, but to see it as the culmination of many smaller events and then to approach it from that standpoint that this is still continuing on every day. It's just that there aren't cameras or there aren't necessarily going to be stories on this or coverage or anything of that nature. So to me, that is the challenge is not to see this as a storm. It literally is just one incident of many incidents that have impacted people in this nation with regard to um, <coughs> beliefs in white supremacy or dealing with uh, those types of situations. Can I just see this though? I, I said this in class and I just want to know everyone's point of view on it. There is a positive bend to all this because there was this false feeling that the infection wasn't there among those not suffering it. I mean, the people who experience it every day obviously know the truth. But among other people who are not being discriminated against, they believe the discourse were post-racial, uh, that we're an open society, that we've gone beyond this, we've grown up, we've buried it, whatever it may be, which was obviously false. Now it's out in the open. Perhaps defeating that false story could be, and now we see that there is this underlying effect, sometimes the fever reaches 103, 104, but it's always at a high level. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's a positive because, and that's what I'm hoping, I know Kim, we talked about this before trying to get out of this, what, now that we know what's happening, we know the truth, what do we do as a university, what do we do as students here to address it? Because our heads are out of the sand, hopefully. So that, that's what I would like to put forward. What is our next step? What do we do constructively to avoid, as Andrew said, something happening like this in our campus, something happening like this in our city and our state? Well, I think just to go to, to go to exactly what I'm saying is you need to you need to take action before a big event. It really it starts with, as you're saying, lots and lots of small things that occur every day. And you need to go out and confront those small things so that the bigger things don't ever have a chance to take form. And, and it's for that exact reason, that's what I mean. So what do we do? That's, that's, I want to come out of this with something positive. What do we do? What do you students want to do? What do you think would be valuable? Uh, 
than being a North, being a good person, which is what it always starts there. But what can we do to, as a university? You've got us here. You've got the provost. You've got uh, associate so, so, so I made. Okay. I, gave, yeah, I gave you. I mean, don't give more me point. We got Tom Tran here. We got important people here. Um, what do you want us to do? Just go around the table. Start with the, I put a lot on a freshman here, but what would you like to see? Um, I think I'm not 100% sure, but um, I know that. Oh, this is Ashton. Um, that you've been talking a, a lot in class since I'm a uh, law and society major about how we have the um, digital voice. It's called right, mm -hmm. and um, we're even getting it in paper right this year. And so I think that if if this is only what we do, which I think we can do so much more, um, getting articles in our paper and educating, trying to more educate at least our campus, so that even if there are people who still think that oh it's not a big deal, oh it, oh it isn't that it's not affecting us, it's not here, um, showing that. It is a big deal, and it does need to be changed. I think that having a school newspaper can do a lot. We had one at my school, and if you have people who are willing to write about it, interviews can do a lot, too, with people's personal experiences. I think when you can get people's personal experiences into um, a school paper, it brings to life. You realize that, oh, the person that is teaching in your class or a student who you sit next to in class, you realize that you know this person and this person has gone through so much that people in your life really are affected by this even if it's not you personally. So I'm glad to see you just volunteered that column in your digital voice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Amrit Paul. Uh, I think the best or one way is um, we can start a dialogue. And uh, some people might not be willing to speak up of, of how they feel and how these events affect them. Or like, if any event happens in the school um, to them personally, how does that affect them? So in my high school, we had um, this email address that's, um, no one knows, that, uh, it's an email address available for anyone. And you can put any comment or um, your feelings about anything that happens in the school or outside of school and how that affects you. So I think if you can start this dialogue that um, even if through email or a letter, um, you can start something. And wonderful idea. It really is. We've got two amazing two ideas. ideas so We're on a roll. <laughs> go, go ahead. Uh, Velez, I think just talking about it in the classrooms and like you said, get, you talked about it in your class even though it does have something to do, but it doesn't have anything to do with your type of major, but just getting the dialogue going across everybody, just talking about it. How long you? Um, I'm not sure if it would be a good solution, or if it would be like a bit too uh, invasive, but I mean, like an online Facebook group that checked racism when they saw it, like as soon as something like that Instagram incident happened where, you know, this racist image was put up, if there was a Facebook group where Philly U students would add racism whenever they saw it so that we could get to the bottom of it and determine what to do about it. 
Well, Usually it's also positive things that happen with kids. Yeah. This is, this is uh, Patrick, and since we have the Dean of Students here, um, you know, one thing that has to, if this hasn't happened, it certainly should, there needs to be some sort of bias response team that's built on campus. And so there needs to be an easy, anonymous, accessible way to report racism and bias on campus. If it is in place, that's fantastic, and it should be, um, but it shouldn't be on a student to have to make that long walk somewhere to tell someone. They need to have access to be able to talk about these things as they see them in real time immediately. And then this team of faculty, staff, students would sit down around a table, they'd have a conversation and they'd say, this is acceptable, this is not acceptable, it's not acceptable, how do we respond? So as a because of last year's incident. This is the dean of students. Yes, sorry, dean of students. Because of last year's incident um, in the spring semester, we do, is it spring, late fall, I can't remember anymore. Um, we do have a bias response team that is made up of um, students, um, counseling, faculty are supposed to be on it also. Two, when there's an incident, to talk about what the incident was and not just how do we react, but what do we do proactively. Because every time you plug one hole, something else happens, but you have to at least be able to plug that hole and then figure out what could be the next things that come from it. So we do have that. It's quite honestly in its infancy. We had what was potentially a very minor incident that happened that turned out to be nothing, but I did pull together the team just as a practice to say, what do we do? And for them to think about, this happens again, who else should be pulled into this conversation? So. The elements are there, uh, and it is a new entity. As a matter of fact, we didn't even have a bias response. We do not have a response to how it is handled administratively, so we do not have the missteps that happened uh, the last two times. What is the pipeline? How does that The pipeline starts with, quite frankly, from the RA or from public safety, and from there it feeds right to me, and then that's when the process starts moving forward. So, and it, there's a specific protocol for how security handles it, how res life from an administrative perspective will handle it, so that we don't have some of the missteps that did happen last time. The, the one thing I would like to say just in listening, I've been looking around the room and listening to everybody. We talk about how to affect the university. Um, most of you who are in here are like-minded. Uh, I would even put it in my world in, in the, the liberal arts spectrum. You need to get the people who may not necessarily think about this day to day because they are in a professional program. They are thinking about being an OT or PT or that, you know, they're, they're, they're an architecture major and maybe they're so focused in on their design work. How do you get them into the conversation? How do you show that it is affecting them <clears throat> and not just because of their color or their gender or their sexual preference, but how does it affect them in their community? Those are the, if you can get those people, I know this sounds very strange, but I'm a firm believer and I'd rather have a student yelling at me or a faculty yelling at me because at least I know they care, that they're passionate. Because the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. That's what we need to battle. And if we can get <coughs> students at the university not to be indifferent, but to be engaged, form how to make meaning for them, I think that's how we get to start changing the community. That's my own personal Mantra. Yeah. It's in its infancy, trust me, it's going to need a lot of development. Well, it's in it. I think yeah, go ahead. 
Um, this is Armani. I just had a question as far as the solutions that were, um, what is responded to or not. Is it a small incident such as a person of color overhearing a racial slur being said by a fellow resident being targeted or attacked or there being riots? Like, how many of these incidents are we going to address before we decide, you know, maybe it's just how things are? Like, what solutions will we put in place for this? Any, anything that's reported, if, if it even has the, the sense that it is a bias against anyone, we need to we need to at least look upon how it occurs to the person who it happened to, how do they want to be or not we need to be considerate of that, but we need to look at everything because quite frankly, you overlook this little thing and you, well that's a little thing and well then what becomes a big thing? It's, you have to start right from from the littlest and keep moving up because otherwise something that's little, something becomes big before you ever knew it happened. In my opinion. Yeah, so um, I was in terms of kind of larger scale solutions or perhaps long-term solutions, something that I think would be really interesting would be um, for folks within their major to think about or to kind of research, which I know you all have tons of extra time, um, but to research what is the history of racism within your field. So you kind of pointed to this earlier. Um, so, you know, if we're thinking about architecture, what is the built, what is the history of the built environment and racism or anti-racism work or anti uh, homophobic work or that kind of stuff, right? So for those people who are maybe unsure about how this is relevant, particularly to their lives or don't feel like they've experienced racism themselves, they can at least think about, well, this is a field that I'm going into that I'm here studying, that I'm here to be a part of, and racism has you know affected all different disciplines and fields and institutions. So that would be a kind of useful way of thinking about it in the long term so that even when students leave Philadelphia University, what do you then do how do you then take this forward as a member of your community, <coughs> of your workplace, of your career, kind of more broadly speaking, and then you can kind of think about these things, not only in terms of kind of interpersonal relationships, which is important and interesting as well, but kind of at a broader scale, right? So how does, how does somebody who's an OT major work at anti-racism work within their field, right? Like how does somebody who's a PT work towards anti-sexism within their field? And that kind of gets into a broader conversation that I think is necessary, right, to dismantle these things at a kind of large scale. There needs to be a comprehensive strategic plan that deals with diversity and inclusion initiatives at the university. It ha and that's the only way you're going to be able to deal with all these different touchstone points. Uh, and I'm not volunteering to do it, but um, there needs to be some sort of plan that looks at the strategically moving 5, 10, 15 years out that deals with bias, diversity in hiring, diversity in staffing, diversity in student body, uh, connections between different universities, and it's going to be difficult, but it needs to happen. Otherwise, you're going to deal with one thing while another fire pops up. Yeah, you're, uh, Latrell, this, this is Susan, you're absolutely right, and I think um, the university is moving towards that, and you do not have to volunteer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need to wrap things up. I want to thank everyone for coming, and I am actually going to ask anyone that would like to stay after we wrap this up to maybe sit and brainstorm a few ideas to move forward, both large-scale you know, research-wise, and then maybe some of the grassroots movements. So that it's, it's not just a conversation that happens today, but that it has legs and it keeps moving. So thank you all very much.